as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. the show is comic book uh, creator jm brant <laughs> hello how's it going glad to have you on here <laughs> glad to be on here okay and we got horror maestro podcaster journey with a cinephile david garrett jr how are you <laughs> i'm doing good glad to be back anytime and then we got the one, the only, Bunny Williams. <laughs> yes. Conquering one faces. Half of, one half of the Pope on Film podcast. Yes. He'll preach it to you. <laughs> okay, so we are taking on the one, the only, Larry Cohen, and essentially how he's recreating his career every decade in numerous formats. So... Uh, just circle around, just show us how any of us got into it and what resonates the most while we just kind of go throughout numerous segments of their career. So, JM, you're new to here, so you tell us how Cohen fitted into your life. Put me on the spot right away, huh? Yeah, <laughs> the first time. Was always go uh, first. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. It's like a doctor <laughs> for a picture show. <laughs> Get the virgin up front. Um, you know, actually... I was a part of a horror movie message board a long time ago when message boards were like the reigning internet way of talking to people. And um, they were always talking up the stuff. Uh, I was like, oh, I should probably check that out at some point. And then I just never did. And I started working at a video store and saw the cover for Black Caesar. And I fell in love with the cover for Black Caesar and watched it. And it's become one of my all-time favorite movies totally. so that's, yeah that's where it started that's a good pick um and like you say a lot of his stuff was like it would show very obscurely even still to this day like antenna channels chances are people saw his stuff without realizing because i mean he started right. out writing the you know he created the invaders wrote numerous episodes of the defenders and the fugitives so is in colombo so it's like you've seen a lot of his stuff and then if you didn't yeah. see that then you probably saw his episode of masters of horror and if you didn't see that then you've definitely saw some of the black exploitation or western films that he did you know totally well it, i i just remember seeing the trailer or, or the commercial for original gangsters all the time 
yeah, it's just... on TV. Um, it still to this day shows on TV quite a lot. <laughs> Lose you there? He, he looks like he froze. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Uh, I'm hearing myself echo, which I don't know why. I just updated this. Oh. Okay, well, Bunny, you are next up. Larry, Larry Cohen made me convert to Judaism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... I'll leave the door open for Elijah, and that's because of Larry Cohen. I, 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 I'm not as familiar with his later works. Uh, I have seen Phone Booth, but I, I appreciate his writing. But when I think of a filmmaker, I do think more of a director. You know. No, so, I'm good. So I. I he is so wonderfully fucked up, isn't he, Larry Cohen? Totally. And he's also one of these guys who, like, just doesn't realize or will allow anybody to know that he is actually as bad as he is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, Roger Corman is great with that. Like, he'll never admit that. No, he's too proud. <laughs> Too proud. Okay. And, and like, like you say, I mean, it is always just kind of one of those. We back in? I'm here. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I okay. I'm back. I'm fine. Ow. <laughs> Yeah, maybe my, turn my, maybe turn off the video. Katie, uh, yeah, I, I did. My, my internet sucks. Sorry. No, all good. I'm, I'm telling Bunny. How about you turn off your... Yeah. Uh, he's freezing. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that earlier, too. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just... Well, okay, so... I'm going to let uh, Garrett go ahead next. <laughs> okay. Um, for me, actually, my introduction to him was my dad collected just more of he collected a lot of like horror VHSs. And for whatever reason, he had the stuff. And I know my sister and I watched it and it was one of those ones like terrified us. But for whatever reason, we would watch it, you know, periodically. And I also remember seeing like It's Alive be on TV and especially like the sequels and everything. So that was kind of my introduction. Wait, to... there was a sequel to the stuff? Oh, no, no, it's alive. Sorry. Oh, no, one. no, I'll get it. But no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, that, that, that's a good point, though. You're like the third person to tell me. You're... I'm I'm here. You know, your video kind of froze there. <laughs> oh, good. I, I, I would just switch off the video for now and then see if that works better. <laughs> And you can hear us. <laughs> okay, but let's see. Switch off the. 
Funny, can hear us. This happens every time. Switch off stream. Go to audio only. Okay. No, you're the third person, Garrett, to tell me that that is like their <coughs> folks or antenna channel programming just would play it. And it's like, it is kind of well. It's like, it, because it's gotten Blu-ray treatments and everything, and a lot of people right. are very familiar with that one. It's like wild, because I can't recall the last time it's been shown on TV. I can't either. And it's actually wild watching the documentary about Larry Cohen, just because, like, there's so many things that I didn't realize that he ended up writing, and, you know, kind of later in his career especially, that kind of threw me off. But then, you know, seeing that documentary where they're talking about how, like, that's what he was known for, you know, kind of early on. Yeah, and even character actors who were big best buds with them, like... I love right. seeing people. Yeah, I can see you. Can you hear us? <laughs> can you hear us? I, I guess the answer is no. <laughs> Maybe we need to start we singing can it. hear you. Turn off the... Stream. Go oh, to okay, pop. so now you can hear me. But I can't hear you. <laughs> okay. Oh. oh boy, this will be fun to edit. Um. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I think. Cine can you hear us now, Bunny? Okay, still you, not hearing you. Still not hearing you. Check the settings. It's that's weird. I checked the settings at the start of the call, and the start of the call was fine. Okay. Anyway, nice to meet you in the chat, Tom. <laughs> yeah, you jumped on there, so I didn't know you were making the episode. Um, so, what was your introduction to Cohen? Oddly enough, he was a it was a documentary about black quotation films, one mm. called Badass Cinema. There you go. Yes, that, that one played constantly on IFC. Yeah, it, it is really good. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. It it gave me a whole new appreciation for not just the genre as a whole, but for Cohen especially. Because what he was doing was brilliant. He was he had a bunch of gangster movies or had some ideas. And when the when this black rotation boom started happening, he said, I can do this. It basically started rewriting or reworking some of the old gangster movies from Jimmy Cagney and that thing and just making it and putting it into New York City. And I heard that and it's like it's simple and yet it's brilliant. Yeah, and like Bunny mentioned earlier, it's like Roger Corman can be too proud of himself, and it's like Larry, you know, just like he kind of could get away with it because it's like he knew that regardless of who he worked with, the moment you add multiple other talents to it, it's going to take a totally different identity. So it's like you can just still say, hey, I came up with the idea, you know, or I was assistant director, or you know, I reshot it, I came in late, and he was also pretty good at just compromising. This is like without just, you know, I, I, you never see him in any interview, just even bad mouthing any of his works. He's like, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm one of the co-anchors of it. So 
as much my voice as it is all the other guys' voice. <laughs> yeah, I definitely felt that way watching the, the uh, Larry Cohen documentary. Mm-hmm. Like, he just... <laughs> he He's a, a self-aggrandizer, but uh, a self-promoter at the same time, and um, just, just sort of is proud of all his babies for one reason or another. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, like you guys said, Ball kind of mentioned, some of his movies are deliberately trashy, and some of them are, you know, pretty well thought out. And it just kind of just depends on the vibe. And some of them, they start off good, and then they kind of become a whole different movie for better or worse by Act Free. And so then you just say, well, that's just the business. If anything, I guess you could say his movies are making everyone more aware. It's like that. It's gonna happen. It doesn't matter how talented you are or you know how late you came in. It's gotta say. So, yeah, like the cell phone trilogy is as much his movies as they are whoever worked on them. Uh, William Lustig's Maniac Cop is as much Lustig mo- picture as it is Cohen's script. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And. One thing I really didn't realize was how much he's written outside mm-hmm. of not just directing. It's funny you mentioned original gangsters earlier because yeah, the Black Caesar movies that he does with Fred Williamson really are worth watching. Well, yeah, yes, they are. Totally. Uh, the, the sequel, not as much, but it, they, there were fun things in it. Well, that's just that. I mean, pretty much the sequel was just leftover outtakes, you know, with while well, also just doing a rehash. <laughs> With a couple, like, uh, uh, fights that just sort of try and outdo whatever they did in the original, right? I think so. I I mainly was too busy trying to see who was killing who. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, funny now, we got you back on here. Uh, uh, what do you think is his trashiest movie, for better or worse? Trashiest? Jeez. How about The X, where he works with Commando, Firestarter director, Marco Lester? <laughs> I, would, I, would ha- I would have to go with, with the first It's Alive movie. I mean, Killer Babies. Just Killer Babies. <laughs> I would I always get much, that. Much else left to say there. I mean, Q comes pretty quick, pretty close, but, you know. Right. They tried. It looked. Did that animal looked good at the time? That monster. Right. Well, just making fun of all the Harry Hodgson type stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man, and it's funny you mentioned that one because yeah, um, uh, I would always yeah. Q. I could never get a straight answer on anyone who liked or hated it, and so I was like, well, I guess I'm just gonna have to find out myself. And then yeah. (laughs) Uh. I would always mix up It's Alive with Eaten Alive. Yeah. Aside from just the Alive thing, they had coincidentally similar posters and, you know, cannibalism and abuse. And it's like, geez, not even the same kind of tone, even though they're both drive-in features. Um, and we mentioned original Gangsters earlier. Um, but yeah, it's like he's done a bunch of other black exploitation, like redirecting everything. But it is kind of cool how he kind of departed from the Roger Corman camp. And, you know, other than even the stuff being, you know, distributed by New World Pictures, he 
he kind of utilized actor Dick Miller almost as much as Joe Dante, another similar face. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess kind of sideswiping this, what do you think he's better known for other than, you know, the shows he's worked on, Maniac Cop, the Cell Phone Trilogy, and It's Alive in the Stuff? Is there just other particular movies that you think people are rediscovering or checking out? Uh, you know, I, I've heard a lot of buzz on, like, uh, film Twitter, letterbox Twitter, about <coughs> the Salem's Lot movies. Mm. And, uh, okay. Maybe, nice. maybe maybe not so much his sequel uh, as, as much as the original, but I, I think because people are going back to the original, they're checking out the Larry Cohen by proxy. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes better sense. Yeah, which I haven't seen. I only saw the original Salem's Lot even like two years ago. <laughs> oh no, I've just I've just jammed in a lot of Larry Cohen. I did all three alive movies. You're uh, awesome. <laughs> Return to Salem's Lot, uh, Q, uh, God told me to, and a he told me to. I can't think of, huh? He told me to, and yeah, pretty rare mainstream <laughs> role like, for. Richard Lynch before he becomes director video Maverick. <laughs> it seems like for Larry Cohen, the film that seems to get most talked about and get much press is the stuff. I guess because, I mean, now that we know that they're not lying, there is a lot of fucked up shit in all our food, even the so called organic stuff. So it's like, I guess yeah. people look for distrustful stuff, stuff they've always heard about or saw, like you say, at mom and pop stores or thrift stores, these movies. <laughs> right, right. Well, I oh. also kind of feel like it's maybe his most competent movie, movie. At, at, at least out of all the ones that I've seen. It's like the one where his skill level or the skill level of him and his crew matched his ambition for the first right. time. Right, as opposed to giving it to someone else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I also, I also think he's he's also in, in the stuff. He is better at delivering a message. Larry yeah. Cohen generally likes to have a message in his movies, but previous to the stuff, he was so friggin' heavy-handed with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot. <laughs> it lives again. Was just like it's about abortion. Like, right. <laughs> now that's a good point. And special, special effects is kind of like his blueprint for the stuff, but it's not as mm-hmm. fleshed out. So it's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, and then you get Uncle Sam, which is kind of a very bottom of the barrel, lower version of Maniac Cop. And then you got the ambulance, which could easily be in that same universe. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he's had other movies where he practically just redid it all. Like he came in late and he was hired, you know, to do it all over again like wicked stepmother you know that's technically not really even his kind of movie but you know he was a merc at that point so yeah um, it kind of feels like he had no shame cinematically which i appreciate about him it's like oh yeah no I, a job i'll do it and if i, I have to I be called a more like the TV, so be tv writing stuff you know yeah and speaking of TV, he does have a lot of sleeper like TV movies in some cases. Then he has some other infamous ones, which people will be like, oh, yeah, I saw that one. It comes on. 
the in between channels once in a while. That's that's something else. You gotta see it. <laughs> I guess you could say though, TV pretty much was his jumping, not only his jumping point, but like his practically his training. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even the, I even have the complete series of Arrest and Trial and you know the Rat Patrol reruns are on all day and he he did like guest spot episodes of those even which got replayed a lot so I think he pretty much knew how to get everyone's attention and he was only as good as whatever amount of time was spent on it otherwise he wasn't going to you know spend any more on it uh Women of San Quentin comes on a lot of the movie channels once in a while and I think that's an interesting uh, real life inspired story and it could have easily backfired or been a very low rent movie but he pretty much gave them enough to work with all the actors on it um let's go to another one uh so what's your t- so during the 90s every movie was trying to be like you know basic instinct or the temp and all these other you know hand that rocks the cradle movies what's you guys's take on guilty as sin is it a good Sidney LeMay movie, or is it a bad Sidney LeMay movie, but a good Larry Cohen movie? <laughs> or is it just a mess? Because it it's two voices in one movie, and you've never seen anything like it. It's like a lot of critics hate the script, but like it because, you know, they like Sidney LeMay. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have to Yeah, I, I got to give it a pass, unfortunately. Oh, good. No, it's it's cool to know because it's like it's, I've never really seen anything like it before. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe there's a reason for that. There you go. Yeah. Oh man. But it Crazy. does have Rebecca De Mornay, so oh, it's baby. worth watching. Yes. <laughs> I'm assuming. <laughs> I, I had fun with it, but I, I, it's another one. It's kind of like a lot of the other infamous sci-fi horror movies is like you don't really know if you want to bring it up if you're going to get a oh i love that movie or a oh fucking hate that movie (laughs) so i'm i'm not tempted to bring it up because it seems like it just has a mixed bag of things to bring up maybe unless you want to be shouted down and be like well now i feel guilty (laughs) for bringing this up i kind of secretly like this now i'm going to be judged god damn it no bring it bring it up bring it up I, i i judge no one I like Batman and Robin. Uh, uh, it's better <laughs> than The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> it's a lot shorter. It's a lot shorter, a lot funnier. More nipples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me that over you know, shirtless Bane and his crazy voice. Yeah. Oh, uh, and now every all the Nolan guys are snapping me now. Um so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I, I wanted to see it, but having seen it, George Clooney has a pretty nice ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, credit where credit's due here. It's not America's ass, but it's not bad. <laughs> Out of curiosity, who has America's ass? I don't Captain know. Captain America. All I know is that well, Captain America finding himself is totally evil Captain Kirk, you know, Against the, I'm Captain Kirk. <laughs> but 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 does but but does Steve Rogers still have America's ass, or does that title pass along with the Shield? Mm. Mm. That's it. Question. Yeah, everyone thinks, uh, a, you know, Agents of Shield. Oh yeah, Marvel is like. When I think of a show called The Shield, I think of just that, the Crooked Cop show, starring <laughs> that, uh, you know. 
Bold Michael Chiklis. I was very disappointed that Falcon and the Winter Snowman didn't address the situation. I mean, (laughs) is Anthony Mackie's ass now America's ass? Right, please. Don't don't shy away. Or is that too woke for all these controversial people? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why anyone gets offended by woke. I thought that was a good thing, you know. (laughs) Everything has to be controversial. Apparently not, yeah. What's wrong with sleeping? Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, woke is a very scary thing when you think the world is flat. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what that's what you tell us. You you just get things wrong, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm scared to be wrong. We'll wake you up. So, uh, God, where do I bring this back? Uh, what shows do you guys think you probably saw the most by him? Just given his large resume, I'm sure everyone saw the episode he wrote of NYPD Blue somewhere along the way. But then he, you know, he wrote The Fugitive and you know, Defenders, and you know, those shows are almost always on on some black and white channel. <laughs> You know, I was really shocked. I'm going to have to bring up a list. Yeah. I I, I was really shocked by his uh, TV resume because I know about all these shows. uh, Well, except for Griff. I don't know Griff. Um, But I haven't actually seen any any of them. And uh, what I I found even more uh, astonishing is uh, Branded. Like everybody was talking about branded in the documentary, and I was yeah. like, "Man, I need to see branded, uh, especially because of the whole Lebowski connection." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have thought I would have seen it because it was a Chuck Connor show, but it was like, "Nope, I saw the Rifleman. That I didn't see that one." <laughs> right. Yeah. Not even on H and I, which is doing a lot of older Western stuff, like you know, Wagon Train. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive, pretty impressive his, uh, his uh, background with, with TV and everything, and just um, that, that he was able to create so many different shows. Um, but I, I would venture to say the biggest thing that he's ever done TV-wise is probably Columbo, right? Probably. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that I've seen any of those three episodes that he wrote, but um, or wrote the story for, I should say, but... Uh, everybody's seen Columbo, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because I, I remember most of the first season was by a little-known guy called Stephen Bochco. So, yeah, I guess <laughs> that's around season three and four, 73, 74 era. So, yeah, I, I definitely didn't see as many of those. So. Um, and I had to have seen the Masters of Horror episode. No, but I kind of only vaguely recall it when I when I reread over it. Right. In a way, I guess you could say everyone wanted to hire him for something that they were loosely connected or a fan of. Like, it makes sense that he would have been involved with Maniac Cop because he had been, you know, around the same time he was doing the stuff and other Roger Corman type stuff. And then, you know, that makes sense why he works with Mark L. Lester, who also kind of came from the same factory and he does some of those movies for HBO. And then, uh, you know, Maniac Cop 
is kind of a Serpico movie if you take away the supernatural evil dead type of aspect from it. So yeah, that makes sense why he worked with LeMay somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I like that that you're drawing parallels and connecting yeah, it's from pretty much to Sidney LeMay. I know. Making like... black and white and put up a door on him and you got yourself Casablanca. Well, yeah, caught <laughs> <laughs> two totally different movies with similar themes and different delivery yeah it was like in captivity i saw some people comparing that to phone booth even though it was totally meant for the saw crowd and i didn't get much of a saw aspect from it i just got a silly kidnapping drama <laughs> so it's like yeah this is like but he got hired for a different reason yet he just had enough to where it could blend depending on who you know tackle it or what producer recut it <laughs> I still can't get over the fact that he did phone booth uh, in the first place. Like, yeah, that's just such a bizarre movie. Like, right. Even and even the concept, right? It's like, oh yeah, we're we're just gonna show a guy stuck on the phone in New York for two hours. It was it was a very interesting concept, and I I'm always really kind of interested in like a one set movie, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah it, the, the sardine can. Yeah, so, uh, and I, I just, add all this extra stuff that adds extra detail to it without overcomplicating it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The fact that even David Zucker, the king of parody movies, even co-produced it—that's kind of funny. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was the. I don't know if you would call it, you know, the twin movies when similar films are competing, but yeah, that's the same room as Panic Room, another, you know, claustrophobic movie. And then he wanted to make it for Hitchcock back in the day, and you know, just, you know, yeah. it, he didn't have the whole concept or reason or motive to keep the guy. And so then years later, he's like, "How about it be a sniper?" And I think there's just so many other elements because this is when. Joel Schumacher starts using a lot of David Fincher's same cinematographers. They're friends, by the way. That's a weird combo. Um, and <laughs> and Kiefer Sutherland's kind of playing a Hannibal Lecter type villain, and uh, it does kind of throw back to all those Dog Day Afternoon, Die Hard kind of hostage movies too. So it was like it had something for everybody. Yeah. 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 Uh, not necessarily something good for everybody, but some things for everybody. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> not, sorry. No. All um, good. <laughs> yeah, my my, uh, my latter-day Cohen is a little iffy at best. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm kind of just a B-movie apologist, but there are some where it's like, <laughs> I would just give the finger to Roger Corman saying, you know, I'm so glad I didn't pay for that. My God, you know, what a mess. <laughs> It just call it what it is. It's a knockoff of this movie, and you just beat it. You know, it just came out earlier, so that's why more people saw it. But come on, it's not good. It doesn't make any sense. The ending. Uh... <laughs> I yeah, guess you invested in it. It's the worst two bucks you ever spent. <laughs> probably one of the first ones even I saw was probably bestseller, and I didn't realize for the longest time he wrote that. Looks like we're breaking up here. Oh, uh, I, I don't know that one. You said bestseller? Yeah, we're... Ryan Dennehy finds out there's this... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, basically being a vigilante going out and... <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I and that was money to watch Brian Dennehy vigilante. vigilante. Yeah, if if I remember, it was like uh, made either made for TV or made for like HBO or something, wasn't it? It was a theatrical release, but yeah, MGM released it. Cohen is like the only vocal quote I could find him in where he hated how they changed the ending. <laughs> yeah. Personally, I never heard anyone badmouth the ending. It was kind of more just showing how they were getting involved and they were taking down a giant corporation. <laughs> yeah. Um, it took a few watchings for me to get into. It's wild how he was inspired by Strangers on a Train because I definitely got more of a, you know, maniac caught without the horror fantasy. This is like, because it is the same kind of thing. A killer goes around and someone else must stop him and, you know, must he put him down like an old dog or must he actually you know help him out it's a strange dilemma i'm just kind of surprised maniac got made <laughs> it so could not be made today if they made it today it would probably be overkill like just delivered yeah, I mean, trashy but still shitty like you know machete or something where you're just like whoa <laughs> well, it, didn't uh nicholas winding or however you pronounce his name uh get on some sort of a, like a i i want to do a maniac cop show uh train for a while yeah nick ref was sounds familiar yeah yeah he was saying he was going to try and make it be an hbo show i think right now more re realistically is david gordon green's hellraiser anthology show so <laughs> yeah. i i don't know if you if you don't have the jaw you just can't make the series it's true. Yeah. <laughs> john hyams of the Did universal you know, soldier movies was attached to do a remake and i was like please don't fucking do it no 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 <laughs> You're good with action, character development. That's not your thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't you, think you it just, could be remade again. Yeah, I know everybody wants to do remakes and all that, but some things you just can't, you just can't do, because there's just no replacing Robert Zadar. You know, you just couldn't do it. You know, just like Michael Berryman in any movie, you can't. You, he's not a replaceable <laughs> person. You know, you don't, you don't get people like them. <laughs> right. It's nothing. That or nothing. Oh, I man. Want, I want to wear a shirt now that says very men or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, however you like it, yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I'm really happy that I, I found out about this podcast. Uh, when, when I saw the Larry Cohen thing, I was like, oh, good. I'm going to go ahead and watch one or two Larry Cohen movies I've never seen before. And then I stumbled on It's Alive, and I could have sworn I had seen it. And, you know, uh, Pot has killed basically my film knowledge for 90% of what I've seen. But it turns out that I hadn't seen it before. Oh, really? Uh, oh, man. That movie is a trip. That movie yeah. is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty effective. And I yeah, guess... Except, except it really gets kind of confused there. I Well, again, killer babies. <laughs> but, I, I mean, like, really, Larry, what's the message here? Having children will ruin your fucking life? I mean, he's not wrong. And then, and, and then it was like, 
it was so convoluted with uh, I, I forget the actor's name who played it, who, who's always a stone character. Never particularly liked him. Uh, oh, that guy. I'm <laughs> just kidding. That guy, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, through the whole movie, it's like, that's not my child. I'm not the father. That's not my child. Get toward the end of the movie. Oh, it's my baby. I got to help him. And, and, and then a little, a couple of minutes after that, yeah, go ahead, shoot him. <laughs> you I know think what? overall okay, you can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, if how, anything. how would you respond to having a monster baby? It's a good question. I think I think he pretty much went in the mirrors like would I accept it or would I be like all the other hypocrites who were like, Oh, don't get an abortion, but oh, you know, leave it in a dumpster, you know. Right. Yeah, it, it, it it's um I kinda like how he played it. Like I think Larry Cohn really wanted to blow people's minds with that whole like it's real easy when you're the dad to to like dissociate yourself from anything that you find to be imperfect with a kid, right? It's like, right. Well, that's not my genes. Like, no, that's, that's the mom's fault. Or, you know, what was she eating while she was pregnant? And uh, so for, like, it to flip around on him at a certain point, and also for people to be extra sensitive, but then he dissociates so much from it, um, I don't know, I, I kind of liked it. Uh, I, I thought it was a lot deeper than it had any right to be, because as Bunny said, killer babies. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so well, to lean in on that, that makes it so hard to take a to he, take such a heavy theme along with it. Yeah, and I can't. And at the same time, I would hate anyone else to do these kinds of movies because they would have probably go into even bigger overdrive, overkill. So it's yeah. And especially with, with It Lives Again, I mean, it was like, okay, you know, uh, yeah, it's wrong for the government to break down your door and kill your newborn baby. Um, yeah, but we aren't talking about mutant killer babies here, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. so, like... And that movie was great because he took he took all sides and just went nuts, exaggerating the hell out of them, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, but that that was all abortion. And the actor, the father of the first baby, now he's like I don't know, some kind of saint or religious leader. I. Uh more or less, yeah. That's definitely what you could take away from it. Um, yeah. A TV Guide said of his style in their review of Maniac Cop 2, a number of quirky characterizations, a Cohen specialty. I think that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I Definitely with, with a lot of his characters, they go in directions you don't expect them to. And I, I thought that was something really interesting with uh, the documentary was interviewing Moriarty. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just the fact that that guy just seems like a total whack job to begin with. Um, but just that Larry Cohen gave him this like unfettered landing, like a like airway to, to just take off and do whatever he wanted to do. 
like um I'm, I'm thinking about the stuff right now why on earth did moriarty decide to play that character that way as this like uh suave country bumpkin with some sort of like a <laughs> vendetta against corporations and uh, odd ties to the fbi it was like good question yeah, he, he's got some really interesting characters. Like, maybe some of the more oddball character combos, I would say, uh, outside of, like, the Coen brothers or something like that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. Most, most definitely. For sure, for sure. All right. I mean, in the stuff, he was a, he was a corporate saboteur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've things. seen a want ad or something like that. Certainly, my guidance counselor never mentioned corporate saboteur as an option. Well, that's because you would have to punch people in the face to get the envelopes of money to make that an actual job. Yeah. Plus, I hear the the uh, I medical aren't that great. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah, true. that's true. <laughs> that brings up an interesting thing that I picked up from the documentary. The very fact that Cohen has so many ideas and so many ways to look at something completely differently. These are the kind of that I think that's what sets him apart from a Roger Corman. Roger Corman is a is a good director of bad movies with no message. Eric Cohen is a good director, or was a good director, of bad movies with a message that you could kind of understand. Right, yeah. and each time Corman wanted to do something, you know, it just always got meddled. It always became, well, we're losing money, or we can't afford this. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, so there wasn't going to be any message. <laughs> it's just going to be incomplete and, and with a random cliffhanger where someone, fu- you know, mad scientists or... Uh, private eye who's already kind of a bad person finds out something shocking and then you know gets left for dead and it ends there and it's like what the hell <laughs> I just, yeah. Cohen yes, I at least he's... wants to stand out in that <laughs> well, I was gonna say I don't think he ever set out to try to make a bad movie either like I think he had the best intentions most of the time it's just kind of what you're saying is that budget a lot of times kind of hamstrung him where he couldn't do some of the things he wanted to do totally <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I can agree with that. I mean, can I, again, I'm sorry. I think this is a fan of many of his movies. It, but like, I'm just... If you're making a killer baby movie, <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's self-aware, but he also... Don't try to bullshit me. <laughs> well, he, he wasn't trying to make killer babies the Citizen Kane of the 1970s, but like... <laughs> He um, still wanted to make a good horror movie, but he also, exactly. you know, that, there's a reason that movie still has a mixed reputation. People like it as trash or as so bad as good and or as good movie with crazy shit in it. So I don't oh, know. Oh, I, I know. Don't get me wrong. I love these crappy movies. <laughs> All at least it was made with heart and you remembered it as opposed to, what the fuck did I just watch? What's that? You know, at least you remember the heart and soul of them as opposed to, I don't know what I just watched. I should put this on at a party. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Especially and if I, I want to believe. <laughs> with, with his scripts, they're much 
better written than those kinds of movies have a right to be. Yeah. Well, totally, because a lot of these lowbrow movies kind of go for just there's a reason they're called that. They go for like <laughs> those lowest common denominator often, and you're like, hmm, I, I kind of feel guilty to be watching this, you know. <laughs> Well, I'm kind of taking it a bit from the other side where I think, like, the message is kind of heavy for the kind of movie it is. And, and again, I enjoy these movies. Yeah. And yeah. I enjoy them having a message, you know, but... So Tom, Bunny, David, and JM, where will he wreck? <laughs> so he's above Roger Corman, and obviously he's not Sidney LeMay. <laughs> but where does he rank? Obviously, he's not Yule Ball, but he's also not Scorsese or Spielberg, and he never wanted to be. So, where would you rank him? He's kind of below Sam Raimi, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's not Argento, so. Well, I don't know. I got I got to kind of factor in that Larry Cohen is is still a Hollywood guy, you know, where like. Roger Corman isn't, you know, and most of a, any of his peers or who should be his peers are not Hollywood guys, right? You know, but Larry Cohen is more of a Hollywood guy who would be hanging out with Sidney Lumet, you know, as opposed to hanging out with Lloyd Kaufman. Right, right. <laughs> He's definitely, I think, above Lloyd Kaufman, who is kind of just a renegade. He's off the scale, especially when he's buying any kind of movies. So, <laughs> yeah. is it wrong to think that the two of them would have gotten along amazingly? I'm surprised he didn't start out working for Kaufman or do a movie that Kaufman distributed at some point. <laughs> I couldn't well, especially yeah, with the guerrilla filmmaking that they both, you know, are known for. Right, exactly. And and both of them being East Coast guys uh, mm-hmm. for, for a while. Well, and don't get me wrong, you don't want to talk smack about other people, and at the same time, like, some of the renegades just notoriously keep doing it wrong and get a different kind of fame, you know, infamy. <laughs> and like you say, Corman was kind of a pioneer, and he kind of liked to just keep bragging, oh, so-and-so, they're famous now, but they used to work for me. I made them. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Is like, yeah, it's like Kaufman was kind of more just, I guess you could even make it, it is fair to make a contrast to him and Cohen, because he's also worked on a lot of big pictures, yeah. whether it was just doing, you know, guest directing of the original Rocky or <laughs> The well, Toxic I, Adventure being a cartoon, so. <laughs> I, I kind of tend to rate my, my bad movies by how much heart and soul I believe they have. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Larry Cohen across the board has more heart and soul than Roger Corman. Well, Roger Corman was always looking for a buck, and, and in a lot of cases with his movie, it shows. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. You know? There's you can tell thing. Larry Cohen loves his work. Yeah. Tell it. So, yeah, he... I, I see him very much as a craftsman, and I think the writing side of it ultimately helped his directing mm-hmm. because it's one thing to be able to put an idea down on the page. It's another thing to be able to get other people to see that vision that you have and 
recreate it as best as you can. Cohen yeah. did that beyond a shadow of a doubt. I, I think I would rank him very high on my list of not just bad directors, but maybe just higher up on just directors in general. B is for B movie. That's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> because believe me, I, I in just watching movies, I've seen great movies. I've seen movies that have not that have been hyped up to no end. Um, I would almost I'd have to say that I put him on par, if not a little bit higher than Christopher Nolan. <laughs> oh, perfect. Or, or higher. Uh, I'm going to make him the well. Where does William Lustig rank? That's the same crazy guy who did, you know. Roland I was just Lewis thinking that vigilante. So I rank him wherever he ranks. I'm ranking him up there mm-hmm. at, on a B movie scale. Yeah, on the B movie scale, I think yeah, Cohen I think is above Lustig, definitely. Like I, I kind of picture movie making as like a four corners sort of situation you know like the, right producer like, um, director oh, I'm, I'm i'm stepping in all these different states at one time and larry cohen i think kind of is that guy that steps one foot in the good director and one foot in the bad director uh state <laughs> at the same time it's yeah. like it's like his stuff is too good, especially like uh, as time got on and um, it, it got more towards the 80s or whatever. Um, he got better at actually making a movie as opposed to like his idea of a movie, um, but it never quite got there. And then with the older stuff, the ideas are really good, but the filmmaking sucks. And yeah. <laughs> Like, like I love Black Caesar, but make no mistake, it's not a well-made movie. It's just a good movie. It does um, have a lot of bloopers and everything, and I guess I, I pretty much am just used to it because I see it in almost every other 70s movie, but yeah, exactly. I mean... Exactly, and and just, like, the places that it drags, and, uh, the, the you know, it, I mean, that movie has one of the greatest soundtracks of all time, but it sounds surprisingly like uh eerily silent as a movie except when the music is playing yeah i've seen that happen to it occasionally and i've seen even people as good as dead remember it as either a bad tv movie or as a movie they like just because the actors involved but that's not saying a lot about the script for it so yeah no no absolutely Absolutely. And, and bone is the same way you know it's a really good movie with really good performances um but it's not well made either (laughs) it's it's like uh you know he he grew as a filmmaker um dramatically over time but he um kind of was was always just a good idea man and always a pretty good writer i think so he he belongs on his own scale i think like i i can't wait off the charts yeah he just he just lives in you know larry cohen land yeah, that is, that is a good way of putting it. I mean, I mean, okay, well, you really, you really don't do the kind of movies Larry Cohen does thinking that you're going to have a man on your hands. I mean, he knows he's got to know that he's taken a big chance. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's why we kind of give him more credit than maybe he even wants to admit he needs. Um, so I guess I'll, uh, John. John has just joined the chat that we're wrapping up. So how about 
he and David rank Cohen's era. <laughs> and from best to worst, where does it all rank? His TV work, his black exploitation work, his B action horror movies, or his cell phone children? Where does it all rank? <laughs> hmm. I gotta think about that. Best to worst. Oh, <laughs> What do you think you're more uh, entertained by? Well, I have a cell phone trilogy. Phone booth, probably my favorite of the three of them. Okay. Uh, Want to go in a little more detail on that? Just like. Well, that one, I guess, as somebody who grew up with Hitchcock, I love how it's more Hitchcock inspired than. You know, the other two, I would say. And plus, you also have a director, Joe Schumacher, that I thought brought to life in a very interesting way. Whereas other filmmakers would have made more cliche, he managed to keep it in one space. And I thought it also showed Larry Cohen's writing, although I'm not sure if it was kept in the final product, but. I've always enjoyed that film, and I always will. Okay, well said. Uh, so, Garrett, I'll let you weigh in. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, the top's always going to end up being kind of the horror stuff, just because that's kind of what I mostly kind of delve into. And, I mean, even some of the stuff that is kind of weird in it, like, you know, God told me to, I still love the idea of this, you know, cult thing and what it's doing. And, I mean, Q, it's kind of interesting to have this, you know, once thought to be extinct serpent, you know, flying in on New York City and then just the filmmaking they did there. Um, I mean, and kind of going back to the, you know, cell phone trilogy, I like um, phone booth. I went and saw it in the theater and thought it was, you know, oh, interesting. Nice. And mm. then, like, as I've kind of, you know, watched it more and more, it does kind of go down a bit, but it's still kind of interesting and everything. So, I mean, and even black exploitation is some of the stuff that, like, I came to it late in the game, but that stuff's very entertaining. Totally. <coughs> All right. Very well said. So I'm going to let you guys all plug your various programs. Uh, uh, JM, uh, I'll let you go first. Okay. So um, I am the co-writer of an upcoming horror comic book called Swamp Dogs. Uh, this first mini-series is called Swamp Dogs House of Crows. It comes out uh, from Black Caravan and Scout Comics, October 13th, 2021. And um, uh, as of right now, there are still a few uh, Ashcan uh, uh, copies left, uh, which Woo! is technically our... Yeah, I know. Uh, it's, it's our official first appearance. It came out uh, early, late July, and... Um, that can be had at your local comic shop or uh, directly from uh, scoutcomics.com or swampdogcomics.com. I wish I was a swamp dog. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> yeah. It, um, you know, after after reading the book, you might not want to be a swamp dog. But, no. uh, yeah, they, they are they're disgusting. They're uh, vile creatures before they die. 
um, they're uh, sadistic confederates, uh, like super Ooh. sadistic confederates. <laughs> and then, uh, and, and then um, they learn voodoo and uh, get themselves resurrected as voodoo-powered, unstoppable beasts a century and a half later. And they're even worse than <laughs> but it's a, it's gonna be a fun read, so I recommend everybody does it. Absolutely, keep sharing links to that. Uh, Eric, what are you reviewing next on the podcast? Um, actually, I have um over on Journey with a Cinephile. I am working my way through the last of the movies from 1941, so I think I'll be shifting up to 1951 to start kind of working through that list over there. Mm. And I'm also kind of working my way through um for my written reviews that I do on my blog for the podcast Under the Stairs. I'm working my way through his Summer Challenge series list, so that's kind of a uh, taking up a lot of my other spare time at the moment <laughs> perfect <laughs> and williams what's next oh okay uh roger roger talking to the swedish chef over there <laughs> so bonnie williams one half of the pope on film podcast where we are Rudging through our, our summer at the bottom, where we're going through, we're making selections out of the IMDb's bottom 100 list. These movies suck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation. We have Italian horror. We have zombies. We have slashers. We have crime films. We have spaghetti westerns. We even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! as needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. 
undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. Yeah, yeah. All that good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, PJ. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could it's get out of here. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, 
often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit With a one last plot holes a gratuitous movies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com. Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I am your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson 
his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Hi there. It's Heather from the Watching Netflix Without You podcast. Did you know that there are over 1,200 Netflix original feature films and documentaries? And that number is only growing. So I've made it my mission to watch as many as I possibly can. Then, with a delightful guest or guests, disclaimer, more often than not my brother Ryan, we spend an episode rating, reviewing, and discussing a film at length. The first half of every episode is spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it yet. And in the second half, after a very clear spoiler warning, we dive into it. And that's really about it. You can listen to Watching Netflix Without You on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We now continue with our program. on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.